For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Nick Frank, one of the owners of Frank Brothers Guitar Company, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Goff of Goff Custom Knives. What's happening? Oh, it's been a shit day. That's what's happening. I'm, oh, no. I'm having a beer now. I'm chatting to you, so things yeah, are looking you usually, up. But... You're usually not drinking mm-hmm. when we podcast. I am today. It's just been one of those days. Like, nothing horrible has been going on, but it's just been like... You ever have a day where you... You just think about burning the place down for the insurance money? <laughs> um, I'm not going to answer that question on recording. <laughs> well, today was one of those days. There's definitely those days where you're like, I wonder if I could move to a different country and start my life all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you? How do you feel about the business overall? Do you feel like you're a, a happy... Uh, you know, satisfied person, or would you? <laughs> would you? This is a deep question. Yeah, we're, we're starting out. I don't know. Because um, I'm sure it's stressful, I would, right? Like, you, do you oh, find yeah. running your business stressful? I do. Um, I I think we're never where we want to be, mm-hmm. and if we were, um, uh, if we were where we want to be, wanted to be, we probably still wouldn't be satisfied yeah do you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. if i looked back five years ago or three years ago i'd be like holy shit mm-hmm. that's sick so i don't know it's just a growing you know yeah i think desire to do better i think that's one of the hallmarks of you know and not to give myself too many props here but i think that's like one of the hallmarks of people that really push and and really work and get quality stuff done is that you're never quite happy you're always looking for the next thing to improve on, you know? So, yeah. So that drives you to improve a lot, but it also means that it can be really hard to like look back and be like, Oh yeah, we're doing good. You know, I've, I know. Okay. We talk about this sometimes, you know, in entrepreneurship or just in, you know, manufacturing, whatever, mm-hmm. like in running a business, the highs are like moderately high, kind mm-hmm. of medium high. And the lows are like devastatingly low. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and I also with just with manufacturing, you're always pushing to like improve. Yes. So maybe that's part parcel with biz, like running the business too. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. Things just change too. Like, you know, like the, you take on more overhead and then your goals change. Mm-hmm. So it's like what would have been good three years ago is now not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. T- so you need to push past that. hundred percent. What um, can you talk a little bit about what's what's bringing you down? It's just been like, so this month has been really slow in terms of new orders, which is not great. But mm-hmm. then um, I had a bunch of things that kind of put me off my focus, off my process. So I was slow. And so I still haven't caught up with the orders from last month. So it's been very frustrating. I feel like I've been working really hard, but treading water because I'm doing a lot of stuff kind of 
not in the ideal ways, you know? And then today, like, um, so the job that I hate most in the shop is sandblasting. Okay. I hate it. Yeah, I know. And which means I put I it off. And then I end up having to do it all in one big go. So today mm-hmm. I wore my respirator for like six hours. You know, I wow. was just sandblasting all day. I'm still not done. Um, and I don't want to spend money on my sandblasting cabinet because I know I'm replacing it. So the sandblasting cabinet is a heap of shit. It's like literally, <laughs> I literally spent two hours today finding all the problems with it and fixing them with tape. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, um, so the sandblasting cabinet has a siphon tube and, uh, basically it wasn't pulling sand up. So I was like, Oh God, like I know that there's a hole in, in the actual blasting gun itself. There's a hole where the sand is like worn through the side of the sandblasting gun. Wow. Um, but that I had also worn through my rudimentary patch from last time. So I had to patch it again. It's just like, it's just, um, blasted a hole right through the, the side of it. Yeah. The hole that wasn't there before. Yeah. Yeah, straight through yeah. the aluminum body of the sandblasting gun. Like, I, I use tungsten carbide nozzles in my sandblasting gun, and I still have to replace them every, like, six months. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, as I said, like, I'm planning to replace it with the automated sandblasting cabinet, but mm-hmm. that has kind of fallen off because, I don't know if I told you about this, but I found this really awesome um, 3D printing material, which is a carbon fiber reinforced polycarbonate co-polyester blend it's it's really nice stuff um but it's not super cheap and i used a bunch of it to print parts for um for the the sandblasting robot and i had checked the dimensions and tolerances on the 3d printer before i started printing it but i didn't check them after i started printing parts and it turns Mm. out they're all fucked no so i i've got like 150 bucks worth of like um, you know, really nice carbon fiber filament in <sighs> scrap. It's it's just it, you know, like I have to laugh at it because it's just it's just stupid. And then today was like you know, so sandblasting. I scrapped a blade, which I hardly ever do. That's like a one in a hundred thing. Oh really? I smashed my finger with a, a hammer, so I've got like <laughs> a nice black finger now. You know, it's just I, I'm gonna have a gripe. It's one of those fucking days here. Yeah, yeah. No, I can appreciate that. I've been having. I've been having those yeah. <laughs> like <constantly laughs> regularly or... for regularly for years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, you kind of have uh, the, you have to just push through it. Right. Well, I wasn't even going to say that you just have to have those. Unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's true. Part I'm... of, part of uh, business. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's making it a bit more painful at the moment is I like, you know, last year was obviously a really slow year for most people, right? Mm-hmm. It was pretty slow for me. Um, it, it was slow for me in terms of business, but really busy for me. Uh, like, I was just feeling really down for most of the year, which meant that I wasn't working at peak efficiency. So the work would just spread out, you know, so I felt like I was working all the time and right. just kind of getting shit done. With less results. Yeah, it was a really crap mm-hmm. year. Um but then I also moved at the start of the year. So, um, which is a lot of work. Yeah. And I incurred a bunch of debt doing that. Right. Cause you're, you're moving, you're not like producing, you're not producing and moving is like, you know, it's, 
you guys haven't done it yet since you moved into your shop, but, but well, I guess you kind of moved when you had your flood, didn't you? We did. We experienced what the, the aggravation and expense of it, even though we didn't pay for it. Like right. we didn't pick up the tab. We did pay for it. And because we didn't have, um, uh, what did they, what do they call it? We weren't insured to like cover the loss of mm. biz revenue that we didn't generate right. while we were out. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so it is expensive and it's aggravating mm-hmm. and it, yeah, you are obviously not producing at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. so like I didn't go into that period with enough of a cushion to fully cover the expense of like moving and, and the loss of production. So I incurred some debt during that time and I've just been sitting on that. Like last year, I didn't really have the ability to pay that back. And then this year, I've been really aggressive about paying it back. But that means that I'm like, I'm paying my personal rent and paying for groceries. And that's like, Mm -hmm. that's it. So this, this year as a, you know, when you have a moment like this, where it's just like, everything's hard. And then you're like, I'm not even getting fucking paid. Why am (laughs) I even doing this? You know, like why it would be so much easier to work for someone else. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you ever just think about like, like, man, maybe I'll go back to school, become a doctor or something. How long does that take? <laughs> Eight years? Well, it, the problem for me, oh, so this is a blessing and a curse, right? So like my day job before knife making is software development, like software engineering. And I could like walk back into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely pays better than knife making does. Yeah. So there's always that like temptation to just be like, fuck it. Which you have done before. Yeah. And in that case, it wasn't really like, fuck it. That was, um, I described that as like stepping off the sinking ship just in time, you know, because like at that point in time. So what's Nick, Nick's referring to is uh, what, 2017, I went from being full time to part time and I went back to doing software development because shit just wasn't working in the shop. Like I had customers, but like, you know, at that point in time, I remember a batch of 30 knives took me six months, mm. you know, so it's too long. Yeah. Way too long. So your fixed expenses, like rent and insurance, and it just oh, kills yeah. you, you know? So you like, I was literally going backwards. Um, and I went back to working full time with a pretty large amount of debt. Like it was like well beyond some credit card debt, you know? Um, and yeah, and I still had to work in the knife making business as well. Right. To so like just two full time jobs. Yeah. It was like easily 60 hours a week, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I've considered whether I should go back to doing some like software contracting. You know, that yeah, way I mean, keep, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Do it one day a week or something. Keep my. We could um, probably use your help. Dude, I would love to help you guys. We should, we well, should, maybe we should talk about that. I can come and do some like process software for you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've got ideas about the stuff that we need. I can deliver the, on those ideas. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a trip. Well, the fixed expense thing is just always aggravating because, yeah. like, it, you know, business fluctuates, orders, like, you'll have a really great month and then, uh, you know, inevitably a, a, a really slow month. But your fixed expenses always the same. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, and it was so like my old shop when I moved into my old shop, I was paying like eight hundred bucks a month for about five hundred square feet, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I look at it now, I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's nothing. By the yeah, time, bucks is great. Yeah, by the time I left, I was paying 
1500 and I was only there for like four years. Um, one year, my landlord jacked my rent by 30%. Yeah. Commercial is brutal like that. Yeah. Like you can't do that in residential. No. Um, but commercial, they just, they, I mean, you can sign, we have a, a lease and in the lease, the rent goes up every yeah. year, but after that lease is up, they could, they could triple it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you see that happening Toronto. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty close to it because, you know, I live here. Same with you. Yeah. But you see that happening and it's, I think it's famous. Toronto's kind of like known for this or has become known for this where like a restaurant will move in, be there for five years and then boom, they're gone. And you're like, where did that restaurant go? And then you hear, Oh, the landlord quadrupled the rent and now a A&W is there. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like a Burger King. Yeah. It's it's, brutal. It's pretty, it is pretty brutal. And like, Unfortunately, that's driven a lot of like artists and manufacturing and all that kind of stuff out of the city, you know, like, yeah, they used to come to the East end where we are mm-hmm. or go, you know, to the West end, uh, West end became more hip yeah, faster. And then they got driven to the East end, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, now a lot of people move into like Hamilton, which for people not familiar with, uh, Southern Ontario is basically around the lake. Mm-hmm. South, uh, do a dog leg around the lake. Um, yeah, and it's now now Hamilton's Hamilton's becoming expensive. Yeah, really expensive. Yeah, I don't know. I think the the long term, you know, my girlfriend and I have this plan that we will hopefully execute on at some point. You know, like the the main issue is just financial, really. But like, we want to get out of the city. We want to have our own property. Um, I would love to either buy a place with a shop or mm-hmm. build a shop. Um, but yeah, even that, like we, we were looking at a place the other day. It was like, I think it was listed for 550 grand, which is like still quite a lot of money, you know, like down in the States, it, it boggles my mind sometimes, sometimes, uh, like how cheap stuff can be, but mm-hmm. you know, up here. So that's an hour and a half away from Toronto. It was listed for 550 grand and it sold for 750. Yeah. And it had a, um, a, like a four car garage and a truck workshop on, on the That's property. Fantastic. Yeah. So it would have been perfect for a machine shop like mine, but you know, the house was tiny. The house was only like 800 square feet, thousand square feet. Oh wow. That's small. Yeah. Yeah. So, Southern Ontario, really expensive. Move to New Brunswick or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Saskatchewan. Yeah. Seriously. Um, Maybe, yeah. Would, do you guys ever want to get outside the city? Maybe we should uh, start a little manufacturing <laughs> commune out in the country. Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, we've we've thought about moving further east, mm. like Scarborough, right? Which is a suburb of Toronto. I've done it, and I um, I didn't enjoy the extra commute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more of a. It would be more of a car commute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, that's. Yeah, interesting to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love to I love to gripe much as the next guy. Oh yeah, sometimes you just gotta get it out, you know, like for sure. That's part part of why we we meet up at the pub. Yeah, pre pandemic. Yeah, you were the one that taught me that that phrase, like having 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 a gripe. You said that you got that from the military, right? Oh yeah, I think um, it's something to do with the army. There, there, it's I don't know. Somebody 
listening probably knows better than I do. Well, the army is the soldier's gripe. They're allowed to, I think. It's it's part part of the part of the duty. Well, that's where the term snafu got invented, right? Situation normal, all fucked up, (laughs) right? Or um, fubar. Yeah. (laughs) Which, if anyone's not aware, fubar stands for fucked up beyond beyond all recognition, which is good. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you, man? Anything. Anything oh. good? Is that what you're going to say? Anything good? You know what, man? There's been some good stuff. Yeah, I like. I finally got glow in the dark uh, mm. liners working for my. I knives. saw that. They looked incredible. They look. Yeah, thank you, man. They look. I'm really, really happy with them. And um, so it was really funny. I think I said last week that I was making that pressure casting chamber. Yeah. And so I had someone reach out to me on Instagram, say like, "Look, man, I'm really worried about what you're doing. Like, it looks really risky to me. I work in." Uh, petrochemical engineering and deal with this stuff all the time you know and so i posted a retraction because i was like you know i was like or a warning at least i was like right don't do what i did like you know i considered it to be acceptably risky um i hid behind my lathe when i was pressuring up that system for the first (laughs) time um but i should have done some different stuff i should have done hydro test which is where you use an incompressible fluid to to pressure test it Oh, to see if it leaks out? Or to see if the vessel itself is going to fracture. Because, like, the pipe is, and the fittings are rated for a certain pressure, but there's no guarantee. Apparently, they don't test them at the factory. So there's no guarantee that those things aren't faulty. You know, Oh, okay, right. Have, like, a yeah. bad weld or something. You know? um, and so I posted the, the, you know, danger, don't do this. And then I started getting responses. So I've had responses from multiple pipe fitters, like master pipe fitters. Um, welders, machinists, engineers, and the responses have been everything from like, he's right, you're practically already dead, to <laughs> um, like, why is this even a conversation? Like, what you're doing is as safe as like, you know, sitting on the ground. <laughs> um, it's been really, really interesting, actually, the the breadth of opinions about this. Well, it's funny because, like, I mean, 150 psi or what is it? 125. 120. Yeah. 100. It doesn't sound like a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's any air compressor. Like, you could blast yourself with 120 psi right. from a gun. Yeah. An air gun. I mean, the biggest issue fine. is that, like, it's the pressure. I don't recommend doing that. By the way, you shouldn't blast. You shouldn't point an air gun at yourself. I do it all the time, but yeah, don't do it. Everyone does it, Aaron. Yeah, but you're, you're not supposed you to. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the biggest reason you shouldn't do that is if you have um, black iron pipes or galvanized steel pipes and you have debris from the inside mm. of the pipe, yes. which will then or be accelerated into your body at an extremely Deposited high into your... Yeah. yeah, I've heard of oil people tattooing themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest issue is just that like when you have a vessel like that, you... You have a ton of pressure in there, right? So it's 120 psi, so it's 120 pounds per square inch. So if that pipe is, you know, 20 square inches, then that's like, you know, 3,000 pounds worth of pressure stored up in there on those walls of that that vessel. Don't check my math on that. I'm really bad at off the top of your head math. Um, and if there was, you know, a hairline fracture in one of the walls or something and it failed, then that that air is like a spring. It would accelerate the fragments out, you know, once the, the vessel failed and then you basically have a bomb. Mm-hmm. So it could go bad. Absolutely. But I worked out the hoop stress 
um, calculations for that vessel. So that's, you have the pressure going outward, you know, trying to radiate out in every direction. And to resist it, you're basically thinking about the stress in a circle, like not pointing outward, but going along the line of the circle, um, you know, because you've got like a steel circle, that's your pipe, right, mm -hmm. that's holding it. And so that calculation is called hoop stress calculation. And it worked out for this vessel to about a thousand PSI in the walls of the vessel. So there's, you know, a thousand pounds per square inch of tension on those walls. Uh -huh. um, and cold rolled steel's rated for 48,000 PSI. So if it was made of cold rolled steel, it's, it's made of wrought, the pipe is made of wrought steel with a welded seam. Okay. Um, so that means, you know, if, if the strength of that steel is equivalent to cold rolled, like 1018 cold rolled, then. Um, you have a, a 48 times safety margin. Now, that's not including like potential material defects, the welding, the mm -hmm. iron fittings, the fittings et cetera. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, so anyway, like it, it was very interesting that I got so many different answers, right? Yeah. You know, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to approach this in my typical fashion. I bought a grease gun, which you can use as a really shitty hydraulic pump. Um, I bought all the gear to do a 6,000 PSI hydro test, and I'm going to test a couple of vessels to failure and see what the actual like safety margin is. So with a grease gun, you, you're going to pipe in water. grease. Oh, water. Yeah, yeah. So fill the vessel with water, get rid of all the bubbles, fill the grease gun with water, pipe them together, and pump away until it, it pops. Oh, crazy. And you can reach that kind of pressure with a grease gun? Yeah. Yep. Huh. So the, the grease gun itself is rated for 6,000 PSI. The um, hoses that I bought are rated for 3,500 PSI. And the theoretical burst pressure of the pipe that I'm using is about 2,200 PSI. Okay. So you'll, you should be able to max it out. Should is a grease gun rated to that? Like, okay, because a grease gun has to push, push grease hmm. through a, the ball bearing of a nipple yeah. on a... Yeah. And uh, a grease fitting or whatever, a bearing. Um, if you ever try to push that thing in by hand, it is quite hard to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is that why it's rated so high? It's just, just to be able to press that I think it's bearing? really just because you're pushing a really viscous liquid right. through True. really tiny channels. You know, so like cool. on my Fidal, I have to grease it. And um, some of those pipes are like three feet long. And the inner diameter of those pipes is like a sixteenth of an inch or small one so mm. you know as you go down in size the walls uh exert more friction on a fluid that's flowing and then when you have a thicker mm. fluid it again has more friction so i would imagine uh, the reason for the huge pressure capacity is just to, like push that really viscous through it cool. cool yeah such a simple device too yeah i was like 20 bucks you know like yeah i could i could buy like a hydrostatic test pump but you know for the amount <laughs> that i'm going to use it clever yeah okay stupid question bring it could you just take that whole um pressure chamber mm -hmm. and put it inside a bigger pipe <laughs> as just as like a, a safety you know like if it were to explode it explodes inside a yeah another uh, doing it inside a pipe would be really uneconomical because like then you're buying like an even larger and more expensive pipe, you know. So like that length yeah. of pipe that I bought for that pressure vessel was like ninety dollars US. Okay. You know. But you're talking about you know keeping yourself from you know trying to save yourself 
mm-hmm. if grievous to... bodily harm. Yeah, 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 I get it. Um, I think what I would do instead is use like perforated steel sheet to weld up an enclosure. Okay, right. So it'd be like, a... or you could buy more. You could have a bunch of <laughs> lathes. Just like a, and stack the lathes around it. There you go. And hide behind those. Build a bunker. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So you buy, sorry, you buy sheet metal. Yeah, and weld up a cage around it. Right. You yeah. know, and, and the reason I would use perforated metal is because you don't want to just build another sealed container around your potentially failing pressure vessel because then you're just going to have a secondary pressure vessel to fail, right? <laughs> you want it to like allow the gas to escape, but to catch all the fragments. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't necessarily saying then close it, like put like a fitting right. on either end. Just, uh, yeah, picturing essentially uh, a chamber to put it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I could do that, but it's more space. And honestly, that well could be probably unnecessary. Hopefully, unnecessary. It's it's kind of interesting, man, because like I I'm you know you guys used to call me Mister Safety back in the old yeah. shop, right? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I'm I'm really really safety conscious but i think that being too there's being safety conscious and then there's being like unreasonably scared you know like right if you design a thing with the correct safety margins and you test it properly and you put it into service like it should be fine and you shouldn't have to worry about it you know i think that um being unreasonably scared prevents people from doing stuff that might otherwise have been awesome and worked fine and been safe you know like mm-hmm. you have to take care of the risks but you can't be yeah and you because know. you're safety conscious you're typically when you're designing these things you think to overbuild them yes yeah um you know like wow. i put a safety relief valve on mine that pops at 125 psi and, and someone else right. on instagram was like oh that's great i should have done that on mine yeah yeah, so like as I said, I'm what I'm going to do is build um, a couple of little, uh, smaller pressure vessels, like a one inch MPT, two inch MPT, and then maybe a small three inch MPT. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little hesitant on three inch MPT because, as I said, that like I'm just going to be like literally destroying like 250 bucks worth of pipe fittings. Right. You know, like it it gets pretty pricey in the larger pipe sizes, um, and the smaller pipe sizes, the wall thickness and stuff is actually scaled down. You know, they don't want to use more material than they have to. So mm-hmm. they're doing the, the hoop stress calculations and they're giving you exactly the right amount of wall to okay. give you the same safety margin as you go so up the pipe size. So it's to scale. Yes. The exactly. wall thickness exactly. isn't, isn't any, um, it's not. It's not constant. As you said, it's to scale. Right. It's It right. scales with the size of the pipe. Neat. So yeah, I'll probably just do like a couple of like scale tests, you know, and then do the math on all of them and work it out and again that'll be like i'll do a video of all of that right because breaking shit is fun everyone likes to watch oh yeah stuff getting I mean, broken. that's why people watch nascar um and uh is this a something common in knife making <laughs> no pressure vessels <laughs> no not at all who the hell else is making one uh making one so like the guy who didn't put a a safety release yeah there you go. so what like what's he doing with his there are other people that are doing pressure casting, right? So they're making composites or they're doing like sculpture and they're, they're doing pressure casting of epoxies. Mm. Um, but most of those people are using paint pots. Um, so like right. HVLP paint pots where you actually pressurize the paint and then you spray the paint without any air. Um, I guess that's not HVLP. I don't know what that's called. 
direct whatever um but if you want to buy an asme coded paint pot they start at like 1700 dollars us oh yeah like they are not cheap so when you go to like princess auto or harbor freight and you just buy a paint pot that shit's not like coded it's not like asme coded right so right. like I've heard stories of people being like, you know, I said this last week. They're like, oh, yeah, I run it at 60 PSI. It's rated for 60 PSI and the bottom bulges out. But it, it seems fine other than that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, and that's what I was trying to avoid. You know, like I don't I don't want to. I'm much happier trusting my safety to myself than mm-hmm. I am to some faceless Chinese company that's just like selling shit into North America, you know, like. I'm going to look at the, the like burst pressure. I'm going to look at the safety margin, you know, whereas like a, a pressure vessel that bulges at its rated pressure is like not a good That's idea. That's pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the results again were fantastic. Yeah. Really it worked glowed. really well. And, you know, like the other option was to do vacuum and to vacuum degas the resin. But... That's a really fussy process. With this, it's just like I mix it, I pour it, I chuck it in the pressure um, casting chamber, and then I just leave it for like 48 hours, and it's done. Um, yeah, I'm, that's wicked. What yeah. effect does it have on what it have on other materials, like, say, wood? Um, not a whole diff- lot, I think, because wood is like kind of porous and fairly strong. So I think mm-hmm. the extra air pressure would just get forced into the air spaces in the wood. I wonder, because, like, um, we would need a big one, but, like, to mm. cast, uh, we did, like, epoxy binding. So oh. a purfling of, of metallic orange epoxy. And it, mm. we did have some bubbles. Yeah, yeah. So, like, could I put the whole guitar in? Are you machining into the binding at all? Or would you be just, like, pouring it and then, like, you're you done? Pour it, and then we we... We would machine the surface yeah, of right. it. Which risks exposing bubbles. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could totally do it. I just I don't know if the cost would be worth it. Like building a pressure vessel big enough to fit a guitar inside. But I wonder if you'd need as much pressure. Apparently, you can get away with like 30 PSI. Mm-hmm. I'd be um, interested in, in like seeing how low you could go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure you could weld something up. And if you do like a, a hydro test, um, then, you know, like that that's one of those things. Like, I'll make it for myself. I'm not going to make it for you guys. <laughs> um, but you could get somebody else to do it that'll sign off on because it. Because you know how litigious I am. And yeah, if anything you're goes so wrong, litigious. I'll sue the shit out of you. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to risk that. Um well, just more respons- more like I don't want to be responsible for blowing you guys up. You know? mm-hmm. I'll let someone else be responsible for that. <laughs> what else has been going on? Um, it's funny. After, so I was talking to you about custom tooling and Maritool in the last mm-hmm. show. And then I was talking about the brushes. That, the yes, which I actually brushes. wanted to ask you about because now I, I feel like I have a need for one. Oh, nice. So I said in the last episode, oh, I should, maybe I should reach out to Frank about these abrasive brushes. So I did, like that night. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, he was like, okay, uh, I have some. They'll be here in like a week. What? So he he already had a supplier that he knew of for abrasive brushes. 
he placed the order for me for some samples and they're ready to go. He's got them already. How did he know what sizes he would want? Or... He just ordered a couple. Oh. So I think he's got like, um, he basically, they, I believe they're diamond impregnated nylon brushes. Okay. Um, in like, he got like a two inch size and a half inch size and a quarter or something. So yeah, I'll be trying those out soon. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll let you know how they go. So you, you're, machine, you're brushing the surface of something. Yeah. Right? So basically what I'm doing with the kitchen knife is I have a CAD model that doesn't have any of the sharp edges. It just has the bevel of the, the kitchen knife. And okay. it's actually oversized in every direction by about an eighth of an inch. Mm-hmm. So I go ahead and I machine that. And that leaves me with a cavity that's basically like the flat contour of the blade. Like no sharp edges that I could round over or anything. Mm-hmm. And then the plan is to take an abrasive brush and brush that surface until it's good, you know, until all the tooling monks are gone and everything. And then I can come in and add the extra details like the pinholes and all that kind of stuff after that's done. And then cut it out. And then cut it out. Exactly. Yes. That's really smart. I like that. It'll be one of those things where you look at it and you go, how did they do that? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I can get it to work, we'll see. So I did get a quote on the ceramic fiber brushes. So Mm. the ceramic fiber brushes are really interesting. They're taking like ceramic and kind of stretching it out like fiberglass. So rather than having like individual grains of ceramic, you actually end up with like ceramic fibers. That's crazy to to me because I think of ceramic and I I think of it being very hard. It is, but normally it would be very brittle. Brittle. Yeah, yeah, but the interesting thing, like fiberglass, you know, glass is very hard and brittle too, but then oh, you turn it true. into a fiber and all of a sudden it's very flexible and, and strong yeah, yeah, yeah. and hard, you know? So they're doing that same thing and then they're bonding the individual fibers together into like a bristle. And then they're putting, you know, thousands of those bristles in a brush. Right. And those things are supposed to be like really fast cutting, really aggressive, last quite a long time, but they are real pricey, like right. um, $250 just for one brush. Right. Um, and that's for a half inch brush. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. And then you've got like 150 bucks. So th- this is from um, a company called Zbeck um, through their Canadian distributor. So yeah, it was 250 bucks for the brush, $150 for the sleeve that the brush has to be mounted in to control its length and to stop it from splaying out too much. Because the brushes, the bristles are like... You control the bristle length. Yeah, Yeah. the bristle length is about like an inch and a half. And then you put it in the sleeve and that keeps the bristles from like, you know, spraying out when you spin it up. And as it wears, you can pull that sleeve back? Exactly, yeah. But so, you know, (laughs) we're already at like 400 bucks just to try one brush. You know, better so, to let Frank uh, get some samples in of something else. <laughs> man, honestly, like if 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 the samples from Frank are like reasonably priced and they work, I, I would love to just be able to give Frank more money. <laughs> you know, like oh, it makes your life so much easier too. You're already 100%. ordering tools from him. Yeah. Um. Okay. So what I want is, um. Okay, we're making a pickup surround. So the the pickup <laughs> surround goes is what mounts the electronic. Or the, the 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 guitar pickup, which is what makes the guitar electric. It's uh, an electromagnet, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, it mounts it to the body, so it's just a pl- black plastic ring, typically. Right. Um, and we machine them, um, and it's three D contoured on the bottom, 
Uh, it's flat on the top, and then it's just a. It's basically like a hexagon, an elongated hexagon in in its shape. Okay. And that's cut. Or that's you know we we cut that to shape. Um, and the top of it is the original surface finish from the the black plastic, which is mm. a cast acrylic. So it's okay. shiny. Right. And we want we want it to be shiny. Right. Then we obviously the underside is contoured to the arch of the top of the guitar. Mm-hmm. That's a machine surface. We don't really care what I mean. We want the the surface finish to be nice, but it, you're never going to see it. Right. You want it to be um, nice, so if someone takes it apart, they're like, "Ooh, that's nice." No. Yeah, like, oh, and and so terrible. it sits evenly and like is seamless mm-hmm. along the edge. Yep. Totally. Um, and then the edge of the the pickup surround highly visible, <laughs> right. and it's also chamfered on the top. Highly visible, not glossy anymore because we've machined it. Mm. So. We what we do is sand the edge of the entire perimeter of the pickup surround mm-hmm. and then polish it. And it's a huge pain, big time sink. How do you polish so, it? Like mechanically on a buffer or yes. And sand it, you know, by rubbing it against a granite surface plate that's got a piece of um right. wet dry sandpaper on right. it. So my thought is, well, let's just we're machining the surface, let's lean into a machined surface finish it mm. doesn't have to be glossy it just has to be nice and the the finish we get right now is a tiny bit chattery uh you see that it's a machined surface right um i mean a that might change once you go to the house i it would could think it change would. yeah and it could we could get a perfect finish the alternative i was thinking was a brushed finish would look nice it would look intentional mm-hmm. um and if you came in i was thinking about your brush how you want, you wanted to finish your knives on the on the CNC? Yeah, totally. And how cool it would be to take a brush that the br- the bristles would have to be ninety degrees to the spindle. Yes, which you can and, get right. So I was yeah. googling it today. I didn't find anything in my you know initial Google searches. Why are you googling? Just go to McMaster. Oh, I didn't think to do that. Yeah, that McMaster has a whole selection of of brushes. Okay, so that's my theory or my thought is. I could, we could just come in and just brush the perimeter mm-hmm. and leave a nice brushed surface finish. It would look really cool. Yeah, totally. So I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so let's say we, you move that process to the house and you get yeah. nice surface finish on the, on the side walls. Have you guys played around with flame polishing or vapor polishing at all? Not in a long time. I, again, it's another, it would just be another step. And now we've got a, you know, like a map gas torch involved and whatever. <laughs> right. It's not so important. Put it in the CNC, man. Just get a tool holder for that <laughs> yeah. torch. Put it right in the CNC. <laughs> it's got to have. So you've got to have um, something that that sparks it. So well, you just have a. Well, you you drive the end of the torch into the into a metal, a bit of metal, to make some sparks, and then you start spinning <laughs> it. You know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I think. Ideally, we eliminate any additional downstream uh, finishing. Right. Right. So, yeah, best case scenario is the edge finish with the end mill is going to give us a nice enough look, an intentional looking finish, edge. But a brushed look would also look really nice. Right. Honestly, I think once you move it to that process to the Haas, um, because currently you're doing that on a CNC router with, you know, it's relatively floppy compared to the Haas and the mm-hmm. spindle isn't as nice and so on. Um, 
I think once you move that process to the house, if you were to use like nice plastic tooling, particularly yeah. if you kept one tool aside for, the, for that finishing off, right? I'd be fairly unsurprised if you managed to get like basically a mirror. A mirror, okay, yeah, that would be cool. I mean, kind of part of me want is like now I like the idea of having like a satin or brushed mm. f- surface finish. I mean, if we could get a mirror, though, why fight it? It'll never be though. I just still, I can't imagine it being as perfect as the cast. Probably not. But I imagine that's why I kind of want this disparity between the two. I want, Mm. I don't want like a super high polish finish and then like a fairly high polish look. Just machine the top too. Oh, it's an interesting idea. Right. Like get it all looking the same. Get a, um, a face mill with only one insert in it and like an aluminum specific insert and just use that like a fly cutter and take a, a pass over the top. You'd get like a really, really nice finish, but it would look with no step over. Yeah. Just one, one shot. Well, you'd still have step over though. Wouldn't you? Mm, what do you mean? Like you, you're talking about, it's a three inch by four inch piece of get a three inch face mill. Just get like a tool big enough to do it all in one pass. And then if you run one insert in that tool rather than a full complement of inserts, that means every single cut is at exactly the same height. Oh, I see. Is that why you see step over? In... Um, like, no, I mean, normally you see step over because like the machine's always going to deflect slightly, mm-hmm. you know, and you're the direction of the cutting marks is going to be different between the different passes. Like there has to be a place where they meet up where the cutting marks are different. You know, if, yeah. if you're using a one inch face mill to take, you know, three passes across a three inch wide surface. Um, but yeah, like basically the best possible finish you could get in a machine like that is with a fly cutter. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you run a uh, face mill with one insert, then obviously much lower feed rate. Like you have to divide the feed rate by the number of inserts. So if it's yeah. a five insert face mill and you're only running one insert, it's not it's not fast, but you'll get a very nice finish. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, Something to think about, maybe as an option. I'll think about that. Or you could just because the other thing you could do is because the um, pickup surround is basically like. Um, it has a surface that goes all the way around the outside, but it's not solid in the middle. It's like a donut, you know, it has a hollow center. Yes. Yeah. So you could take an end mill, you know, like a half inch end mill and have it do Just a surfacing perimeter. operation around the perimeter. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always a single pass in any particular area, but you're going around the whole thing. All right. So here's the only problem is the surface on it already is perfect. <laughs> so we're talking about, yeah, right. Like, you know, how do we make a perfect mirror um, finish? It's just like cast acrylic. It's just it like it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Flawless. nice thing about taking a finishing cut like that is when you're using the factory surface on one side, it's generally kind of hard to deburr in the machine because you can't run a chamfer mill around that surface necessarily because you know, that surface might be very slightly higher on one side than the other, 
right. or might be very slightly off the location you want it in Z. You right? don't have it's not perfectly flat reference surface. Exactly. Whereas if you machine that reference that surface, you know, to make it a perfectly flat surface relative to the machine, you can come mm -hmm. up with a chamfer mill and hit all your corners and stuff nicely. You could do like a lot more finishing on the machine, right? That's an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, we definitely see that. We see the, the chamfer being, you know, it varies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Food for thought. Food for thought. I definitely I, want to transfer that over to the Haas, though, because mm -hmm. it'd be it'd be so nice, mm -hmm. so quick. Yeah, we. It sounds like we should talk about what I can help you with on software stuff. Come and do some stuff for you. You know what's just killing me is our inventory. Mm. Like, I need a way to um, add uh, inventory items, uh, put the the purchase price in, um, do a first in, first out, mm. turn lumber into... Um, so, like, this is the one thing that's, like, you know, so we take a big, like, a piece of lumber... Out of that comes two and a half body blanks, but some piece of lump, pieces of lumber are eight inches wide. Some are ten inches wide. Right. The body blanks always the same size, but you have different waist based on that. So it's like, do I assign the? Does every body blank have a different price because mm. they came from a different piece of lumber that had more or less waist, or am I calling some of that wastage and right. then just writing it off? In right. which case, I've got to track the wastage from ev for every piece of lumber. It's anyways. So inventory, we also we just have way too many SKUs because of all the custom stuff we do, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, reordering. That's what I really need help with. <laughs> so um, we haven't talked about this on the show before, but um, I made a little inventory system called Kanban QR, which I believe you guys have been kind of using. Uh, yeah, I need like, I need your help with it. Right. So basically you have like little re printed reorder tags that go you know in your pile of inventory at the pod level and then each one has a QR code on it that lets you just scan it through your webcam and it takes you straight to the website to reorder that thing. Have you been using that? Have you been finding well, so, it helpful? No, I I mean I haven't. I got a little stumped by it. Okay. Well, I mean, that's I my know, fault. Now's, now's the time to talk about it. But I have been meaning to get in touch with you about it because I do have a, a big need for this. Okay. Yeah, we should totally talk about it. I mean, the reason you're stumped by it is because you're the very first person other than me to use it. So it totally <laughs> makes sense that you would have problems with it. Um, yeah, it's been something I've been meaning to revisit for a long time. I just haven't gotten around to it. It's a great It's a great idea. I really need it. Thanks, man. Um, I'm glad you like I it. I just, I'm, you know... I'm I'm just having a little trouble with um, tech support. They're pretty shit. <laughs> yeah, well, and also you're not the greatest on uh, the technical side, you know. My, I think computers um, hate you. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, <laughs> control Alt Delete. Not Buddy, doing anything. For you're me. on a Mac. Come on. <laughs> Command Shift yeah, Delete. Yeah. All right. Well, while Nick's doing that, should we um, look at some listener questions, mate? Yeah. 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 Let's do it. So, uh, West of Nowhere on Instagram says, Howdy, could I get Nick's opinion on a planar jointer combination versus two separate machines? I'm a hobbyist hoping to make something of it one day, upgrading from two pretty rough machines to something with a spiral head. 
Ah, what I've been there. I have mm. experience with this exact scenario. Look at you being useful for once. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, okay, so we bought, when we first moved into our shop, a combination uh, jointer planer uh, with a spiral cutter head. And the biggest issue we had with it was its repeatability. So to the the way it worked is the they use the same cutter head. The plane the jointer is you use the the, okay. the top of the cutter head. The top right? of like, it. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're running it against the top of the surface. And then to use the planer, you often have to lift both tables. You mm. you tip them. 90 degrees and then you kind of um, feed it through up, under and then the... you yeah then you can then you have access to the planer underneath when you tip those tables back down and lock them in place the lock mechanism wouldn't actually uh return the the jointer beds into the to the exact same place right. so we always found that we were you know trying to like turn the handle that that locked the mechanism a degree or you know tighter or looser in order right. to reduce or eliminate snipe which is when you pass the the board through at the end you get a little bit of extra bite um it's really important that those two tables are coplanar so the infeed table sits below the outfeed table a little right uh but they need to be parallel and coplanar uh and if one is tipped one way or the other, the results just aren't good and you don't get a nice surface. Or more importantly, what we found is when we were actually joining two boards edge to edge, mm. we were we weren't getting a nice joint. You'd be you'd be finding a glue line or a bit of snipe or something. So Oh, okay. So you're jointing the edge of the board, assuming it'll be flat, and then when you glue it up. Yeah, the two boards aren't meeting. And a, a good joiner will joint something extremely flat. So our right. we we traded that in. We bought ourselves an old used uh, jointer and planer, separate machines. Mm -hmm. We got a twenty inch wide jointer and and a terrifying your, planer <laughs> and a terrifying planer. Yeah. We borrowed your chain hoist. We. We removed the tables. We shimmed it with brass shim stock. We made the the in feed and out feed tables perfectly coplanar, just by testing it, right? Until we were getting the results we need. Now, if you run a fifteen inch wide by twenty inch long board of mahogany across it, it when you go to take it off of the out feed table, it's stuck to it. It's so <laughs> flat. Oh, that's sexy. Now it is really annoying to set the blades on a traditional cutter head with just right. straight blades. Hate it. They last, they stay sharp a really long time. We're not feeding thousands of board feet through this thing. Uh, and you're not feeding knotty wood and you're not feeding reclaimed yeah, wood. We're giving and, it nice, yeah, yeah nice yeah. wood. Um, a spiral cutter head, I do fully endorse. Mm. Those are really nice. And but you quiet. would endorse separate machines with a spiral if you head. if you need the space it's it's great i don't find we sold our planner i mm. don't find it particularly to be a super useful it depends what you're doing right we're we're taking eight quarter lumber and 
we're making it maybe a hundred thou thinner. Right. Eight quarters, really... two inches for those two inches. of us that don't speak Sorry. You know, carpentry. Um, <laughs> recently we did get some thicker material and right. now I was like, Oh, planar would be nice. Um, cause but, you're using the thickness sander for the most of the secondary well, we're not even, stuff. Yeah. Right? We're really not even using it for, for the st- type of wood that we would joint like a body blank mm. or a neck. We're not, right. we're not really planing or thicknessing any part of that. So right. just surfacing is important to us. Mm. So I personally, if you, um, Who's asking this question again? Uh, West of Nowhere on Instagram. West of Nowhere. If you're making guitars, I don't think a planer is as as important as a thickness sander, in my mm. opinion. So a jointer and have, thickness sander. I would rather have a thickness. If you're having to re, if you're having to remove a lot of material, that's where a planer is is handy. Also, if you want to make so when you're making anything, starting with uh, flat and square. Mm-hmm. is super important when you're doing woodworking. So a planer, a jointer makes one face flat and one edge square. Right. So you have two, you have a, a flat surface and a square edge. If you want another fl- squ- a, a flat surface, if you want to make the other side flat and parallel and square, you would run it through a planer. Right. But for us, we don't really need to do that. We just have the one flat edge, flat surface, then it goes on the CNC. The CNC uses that, you know, bottom flat surface as a reference surface. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's so, one thing that I think is interesting, but, you know, as a parallel between you guys and me is that you guys make guitars in a way that's fairly unusual for luthiers. And I also make knives in a way that's fairly unusual for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, that's a good point. If you're making guitars, Maybe you do need a planer. <laughs> we make it. We make them, you know, our our own way. Right. Even though, still, before we were doing, when before we even had the CNC, I didn't find the planer to be like a like a desert island tool for me. Right. Right. I know a lot of people do think it is. Um, yeah. I. I just. It, it never was that critical to our production. So get a jointer, get a thickness sander, and get a CNC router. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what that's what I did. <laughs> I'm assuming. Yeah, look I'm how it's working out for if, me. If West of Nowhere is listening to our show, he's probably interested in CNC. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um. Yeah. So that's my opinion. Uh, spiral mm-hmm. cutter head, totally mm-hmm. sweet. Um. If you have space, uh, separating those two machines is good, especially if you do find you don't use yeah. the planer, then you can sell it. Um, and a thickness sander, I find personally more, because uh, you could still, you could put like 40 grit, 80 grit in that, do some, it would take you a little bit longer, but do some abrasive planing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are kind of expensive and definitely not as robust as a planer. The other thing, so a friend of mine, guitar maker, Joe Yanazello, really amazing guitar maker, super high quality uh, work. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that in the background. It's fine. Tim, Tim is drilling. Um, we can hear, but it's okay. We'll he live. he had a you know an industrial planer. It it broke. He needed to get it fixed. In the meantime, he went out and bought himself one of those Dewalt um, uh, portable contractor planers. ones. Yeah, yeah. He loved it. <laughs> really? Yeah, he loved it. 
funny. It's funny that I mean a lot of that stuff is like pretty um, lightly built, yeah. but it's also meant to be beat up. Right. So it it can you know they're not bad. I mean I don't think it's going to be giving you machinist tolerances, but he was thrilled with it. Right, I mean, machining wood. So I mean, you're fucked right from the start, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's that might be a, a good um, in, introduction to a, a mm-hmm. you know buy a really nice jointer, get yourself a Dewalt planer, <laughs> depending on how much width you really need. Uh, right. Could be could be an option. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I would like to have a wood shop as well. Like, if I build a, a shop after out in the all country, you've said about wood, oh, don't get me wrong, I love. Some I don't wood. think we'll have you. I love some wood. You know, um, yeah. If I was to build a shop out in the country, I'd really love you know machine shop, a small three D printing area, a hot shop for doing like blacksmithing and glass work, and then a wood shop. Wow, maybe a spa area too. Oh, dude, I don't love that. A bar, some of those little fish that like nibble on your feet. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, can yeah. be a... oh, great barbecue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. I mean, I, I like glass. Did you say glass blowing? Yeah, yeah, that is really cool. That was one of my early fascinations in manufacturing. Mm. Um, but uh, totally, I mean, being able to do woodworking is. It, it, it gives you a lot of options. Yeah. So we joke amongst my group of friends that we have um, an apocalypse crew. Okay. You know, so I have a friend that is, um, it, it, she just is starting her residency in med school, you know, so she oh, could great. like take a bullet out of you or cut off an arm if you just got bit by a zombie, you know, uh-huh. I, I'm the, uh, the armorer. Uh-huh. Uh, my girlfriend's the, the teacher, you know, so we've got the, the whole crew, you know, so you've got to, you've got to have some glass blowing. You've got to have, Woodshop, sure. I want no part in it. I I'll be the first to go in an apocalypse. <laughs> we'll just let the zombies have you. Uh, just the hassle of it all. Yeah, that's fair. I you know I just really like um, being set up to like make whatever I need to make. Totally. You know. Um, cool. I really my uh, one of the things I really want to do is get set up to make steel. I really want to do that. To make it, yeah, that's wild. I can't believe you're yeah. even thinking about that. Well, it'd just be so cool to be able to take all of my machining scrap, all of those chips. You know, even if I'm not, like, making the raw steel from, like, iron I dig out of the ground, I don't want to do that. But, like, being able to reprocess chips into... Because, like, I literally throw out 60% of the steel that I pay for. That's a lot of wastage, yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we're probably... I don't think maybe that high, but, yeah, you... You definitely don't use all that you have. No. Yeah, you and can. one of the other things I'm going to end up doing with the um, the pressure casting thing, the pressure vessel that I recently built, is um, I've been, I haven't been saving all of it, but I've been saving some of the G10 chips. So like the fiberglass epoxy composite that I use. I've been saving the chips from that. And what I'd really like to do is, you know, mix it with some more epoxy and cast it back into more g10 like ah. it's obviously going to be different it's going to look different um but that'd be the, cool though Recycled. yeah and with the pressure casting setup i can guarantee no voids or anything so it'll be like wow. really really strong that would just be a cool thing to do even if it wasn't like you know just as an option 100 percent. well and i've got some really cool stuff too right where it's like so i was machining um a set of scales today that have very thin black layer on the top 
because of this um, particular G10 that I'm using has a black layer on top and, and bottom. And then it's clear in the middle. And then it has a, a glow in the dark liner on it. So I'm going to call that one like mint chalk chip. You know, it's, <laughs> it's green with the, the black specks, you know, like yeah, to yeah. recycle. I love that sort of thing. I like that. Those random pattern. Yeah. I think um, it'd be really cool. Yeah. And then I'm going to do one called uh, unicorn puke. That's just all the colors mixed together. It's like the ones <laughs> that I wasn't able to uh, separate the colors from. You nice. just get it all, you know, this is like, um, you know, in, in, uh, painting like custom cars or uh, mm. guitars, metal flake. Mm, mm -hmm. I guess you do lots of stuff, you know, lots of stuff are painted with metal flake, but you do get these metal flakes that are like, Oh, here's like all the flake colors we have in right. one. Right. It's just like, I numbing. <laughs> My eyes are bleeding. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't know. Some of the, the metal metallic flake paint jobs that they do, that you see on like speedboats and stuff where it looks oh, like yeah. the flakes are like, you know, a quarter inch in diameter. Yeah, they're big. Have... You can get some big flake. How do they do that? Does that just go through a spray gun or are you they have like to get sprinkling a big nozzle. that shit on? Uh, there's, oh, there's, wow. you can put it through a spray gun, like wow. suspend it in lacquer. Um, I guess it just like really folds up. Nozzle. And... Right. Um, they're really thin. Uh, mm. But the other way you can do it is, is basically flock it. Like you right, can you get a chuck gun. it on while the paint's wet. You could do that, or there's there's guns that'll that'll shoot dry flake. It's mm. called dry flaking or something like that. Um, and then I guess you don't have the same uh, limitations with right. nozzle size. Cool. Um, yeah, we have not gotten into that. We really want to. Surprisingly, we've never actually been asked, like requested, to do a metal flake finish. We've done mm. lots of do lots of metallics, but metal flake just is like it's like a bomb went off in your booth <laughs> right. uh, and you know the shrapnel is the the flake and right. it just gets apparently it just gets everywhere and gets into everything it's and like then, glitter like, uh, yeah exactly and every guitar that you shoot after that unless you do an insanely thorough job cleaning your booth mm. has a bit of glitter in it <laughs> tim even when, with metallic pulls out all the other guitars mm, and right. will shoot a metallic guitar right yeah because i guess if you have like you know, with a normal lacquer, if you have a tiny bit of overspray, when it's so thin going on as overspray, it's going to be basically translucent. You're not going to see it. But with like a metal flake, if one metal flake gets in the wrong spot, it's very obvious that it's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so was that our, our only question? There's a couple more, but uh, I think we need to do a bit more... Um, background research on them before we get to them so we'll probably get to those next week cool cool we didn't have any mean comments although i do have... i should have probably done background research on my question i've bumbled through that i hadn't <laughs> yeah, thought about yeah. that in ages you're fine i did have some questions for you actually i wrote i wrote some questions down um where where did i write those down oh yeah okay so why the hell so i've been watching a couple of your instagram stories recently where you're on You've got a completed guitar body, you know, paint and everything on the CNC router. And then you are routing holes for pickups and controls and your F holes. Yeah. Um, why the fuck do you plunge? Every time I see it, one of those videos, you're plunging like a, a two flute um, straight single end flute. mill. A single flute. Okay. Just straight into the body. Like, yeah. and every time I see it happen, I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus. Why do you do that? How come you don't do like a helical ramp or something? 
Because those programs are, some of those programs are years old. <laughs> mm, gotcha. And they just work, uh, they, so you don't care. They need updating for sure. But right. yes, essentially, the whole, our whole strategy was like, let's just get these things done. And we were all learning, you know, like. Yeah, sure. Um, Mark hadn't done tons of this. Right. He, you know, um, so we were just like, let's get this. Let's just get these things down and then we'll dial everything in, you know. And they just worked then, good enough and you never had to change. Well, it worked right. good enough and we needed to move on. Yeah, um, yeah. And some of the new tool paths on the Haas, you'll be happy with. Uh, well, the other one I was curious about is... so. Mark says making... the same thing. He cringes when he watches those videos. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's yeah, good. I, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got a few messages from people before being like, you should do this, you should do that. Like, <laughs> whatever. whatever, bro. Yeah, I mean, I see, I see the same thing with the F holes. So you're cutting this like, you know, fancy flowing shape out of the top of the guitar, but the center of that shape is not mm -hmm. being turned to chips. It's being left yeah. intact. Yeah. And whenever I see something Flings. like that, I, yeah, I worry about or it like, getting flicked into the the lacquer or like breaking the tool because it gets trapped and starts bouncing around or something. Yeah. So Honestly, I imagine. I mean, yes, never had it happen. I, We've never had an issue. Actually, for the first time, one of those center pieces, they usually just drop straight down. Right. And we were like, great. Um, but for the first time, one flung outside of the guitar. Mm. Um, Did it get you in the eyeball? Or? <laughs> uh, it didn't, luckily. Uh, but no, I mean, that was one of the things that um, when I talked, when we were specking at the Haas, I talked to um, one of the guys at Fender. Mm. Uh, in California, and he programs the Haas machines they've got. Right. And he was like, make sure you turn everything into chips because we had an offcut that got stuck in, like, somehow in, uh, in between the table and the, the frame of the machine, right. and it jammed up the, the table. Oh, wow. And threw out the uh, alignment. Oh wow, that's a big. That's a. He big was shocked. Cut. He was like, it was like an eighth of an inch out or something like that. Wood Jeez. is wood is strong. It'll, yeah, yeah. You know, you, it's like putting a a, a stick in the spokes. <laughs> right, right. The only time I've had something like that happen. So when I'm machining the handle scales, I have like a pallet that comes off the fixture and then gets put back down, and it's held in place with two pit bull clamps. Mm -hmm. And I've never had a problem with that except for one time. And I may have been hungover <laughs> and I may not have put that pallet back in the right spot or mm. like attached it properly. Mm -hmm. And I, I like set the machine running and I went out to lunch and I came back and I found a dent in one of my walls and the pallet <laughs> was nowhere to be found. <laughs> it was, it was in the machine, the, the, um, this, yeah, the, sh the shop next door. Exactly. On the guy's pillow. <laughs> <laughs> right. The so I pillow. found it. Um, I, I found it in behind the machine, but yeah, it had been, pulled up like by the cutting forces right. on the g10 yeah. and then the actual pallet itself the, the steel pallet had been sucked into the tool and then the whole thing had gotten chucked out of the machine oh wow um so yeah i'm glad i wasn't there when it happened i'm glad i was having lunch um yeah because your machine's not enclosed yeah, that machine wasn't yeah exactly um but yeah it's always safer to turn stuff into chips yes except yeah. for your fixtures don't try to turn those into chips <laughs> um that's definitely a new policy especially in the house and mm. yeah it's funny though people will message me 
every single time we post a video of doing post finish routes. So mm. we're routing into a completely finished guitar. It's been polished. Right. It just is. If you go onto our Instagram at Frank underscore brothers, our last post that we posted today, which is what's June 29th today. Mm-hmm. We posted it yesterday, rather. June 30th. We posted it on June 29th. It's a guitar. You can see it. It's completely finished, but it's bare. It has no right. hardware, no pickup routes, nothing. It looks it looks really cool. A lot of people are like, ooh, I want it like that. <laughs> Unplayable, <laughs> no strings. Um, so people every time ask it, message me, it's being like, why are you doing that? You're going to totally ruin the finish. Um, and you never do. Won't you it chip? Won't the finish right. chip all this stuff right. or like won't the wood chips, the f- these like fluffy mm. wood chips that are coming off scratch the finish. Right. Um, so people are very concerned about, well, it's just interesting. Like, cause you guys are doing something so different with that. Right. Like people are like, what the hell is going on? It looks, I wrong. get it. It is. It, it does look wrong. It is weird. I think people are fascinated and terrified by it. We didn't That's come great. up with it. We, we did, but, uh, but we adopted it and ran with it. Right. Well, I think on that note, that's a show. Yeah, it is terrifying watching you guys do that. And then once you've actually finished the guitar, you lean it up against the joint to take photos. Which still <laughs> boggles my mind. I don't. Tim does. And I did it. I had to take photos for the first time in a while the other day, and I did it. And it wasn't as sketchy as I thought. It looks you way sketchy. scratch it? No, it didn't scratch it. That's good. <laughs> all right man i think that's a show all right um, good talking to you yeah you too man i'm feeling a lot happier now thank you good you've got a beer in me a i'm fantastic gonna go dinner. job aaron you too Dude, brilliant man. thanks buddy and the work you do is amazing when it works i've got a whole drawer of scrap that would argue with you <laughs> only one point, yeah that's well actually two <laughs> I need to do a video on that at some point. There's just like someone on Practical Machine has said like, oh, oh, what's what's your prettiest scrap? And I, I made a gif of me just <laughs> pouring a box of like, it's probably like a hundred blades and a hundred uh, yeah. scales just onto the ground, you know? <laughs> I've got yeah. a corner with like eight guitars, scrap guitars in it. So. The corner of shame. Um, yep. Yep. All right, buddy. You got to have them. But uh, well, yeah, cool. Yep. Well, good chatting. Yeah, you too, sir. I hope everyone has a good week. I hope you have a good week, Nick. Don't add to the corner of shame. And we'll see everyone next week. All right. Cheers. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.